Hello, I'm Paddy Delaney, and welcome to Integrated Infrastructure, a podcast dedicated to bringing you news and views from industry leaders involved in the development, design, construction, and management of the many built forms that make up Australia's integrated infrastructure. This is episode 13 of Integrated Infrastructure. This week, I'm talking to Rob Ayafrida, General Manager of Construction Support Services at Fulton Hogan. In this episode, we talk about Rob's early career, starting out in the recession that we had to have in the early 90s. How Rob came to lead what would now be a $350 million project at the age of just 27 years old. And we talk about why Rob laments the change of focus in delivering projects from engineering to legal over the years. Rob talks about why the industry's eternal optimism and can-do attitude can be its greatest weakness. Rob offers advice to those starting out in the industry, and he tells us why he's excited about the industry and government collaborating to create a more sustainable environment for business. Amongst other things, Rob tells us why he celebrates the diversity of background and skills that we now see in civil engineering in Australia. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe if you do. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Rob. Rob, welcome to Integrated Infrastructure. Thanks ever so much for, for joining us today. Um, as always, let's start off with um, a quick introduction from you. Um, tell us who you are, um, who you work for, and um, um, yeah, go, go for it. Thank you, Paddy, and uh, thank you all. Um, yes, Robert Ifred, I'm the uh, General Manager for Construction Services for Fulton Hogan, uh, based in, in Sydney, but, but have a national role across the, uh, the Australian business, uh, supporting all the different regions throughout Fulton Hogan. Fantastic. And Rob, I see you're in your office at the moment. So you guys are obviously um, 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 hard at it at the moment. Uh, I am indeed. Fortunately, here in, uh, in our Sydney office, anyway, Fulton Hogan hasn't been as impacted as uh, some of our colleagues uh, in, the, uh, in the southern states. So look, other than some initial um, uh, slowdown in, in March, April um, this year, it's been pretty much business as usual for us. Both in the in the regional office here in Sydney and also on our projects, which is uh, which has been very fortunate because I know that's not the same for everybody, but for us it's actually um, we've actually got through it pretty uh, pretty much unscathed. Yeah, fantastic. That's really good. Um, and um, um, we were talking sort of um, before the podcast, weren't we, about having a chat around your your career and um, and, and and where you started. And um, um, it'd be great if you could um, t- t- take us back to um, you know your first steps into the career and you know what the world looked like then and um, how, how all that sort of um, 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 unfolded. Well, that, that was a very different world back in those days. Um, I'll have to think back in the old memory, but. Um, I've I've been here for four years or just on four years with Fulton Hogan, but my career started um, considerably earlier, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, where I started working for, for Abbey Group. It's uh, Abbey Group Contractors. It's a name that, that's probably not around anymore, but but later, but was around for many years and uh, and was one of the premier uh, road building construction businesses, certainly um, through the 80s, 90s, and through the 2000s, up until it was acquired by uh, Len Lease and uh, later on became Len Lease Engineering. But uh, yeah, like, I think like most uh, uh, graduates, engineering graduates, I started. Um, I took the, the construction path. I got into contracting early and uh, landed on a on um, a project. Um, it was very different back in those days. It was uh, um, it was at the time of the nineties. It was during the recession. Um, there probably wasn't as much work as there is now. People people were happy to 
to, to have to have work. Um, I was lucky to have been employed by a by a Abbey Group, which turned out to be a a great company to work for, a great business, but also a great training ground uh, for my future my future career. Um, but like most graduates, I uh, I started on a project um, on a regional project down south on the Hume Highway, just south of uh, of Wagga Wagga, um, as a quality engineer. Which is where most graduates started their careers back in in those days. Um, Still there, quality, I think. Absolutely, quality assurance yeah. was new then. I think uh, RMS or RTAs was back then had just picked it up, and basically most projects put the least experienced person into the quality role because uh, it was seen as either a uh, a paper slash compliance role or or, or one of the uh, less sexier things to do on site. Um, but it actually turned out to be a really good training ground because um, you actually had to be across the entire aspects of the project. You, you weren't just pigeonholed into, into one area or one discipline. You, you got to um, be involved in all aspects and it turned out to be a really good uh, a foundation for, uh, for, your, for building a career. Fantastic. And is, is construction in the, in the blood, Rob, or is, is it something that, you, um, um, that, that you, you, know, you came upon and thought, thought that's something I really want to do? No, it was it was never in the blood. I I was always um, attracted more towards the sciences and maths part um, when I was at school. I, th- they were my strong points. Um, I just uh, used to look at you know uh, infrastructure projects and 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 buildings and think, wow, they'd be good to work on on those uh, one day. And and mainly because of my strength in, in maths and uh, and sciences, I uh, I landed uh, at civil engineering at New South Wales University and. Um, they've been involved in the industry ever since. Yeah, fantastic. And 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 you, you just touched on there. You started your career in the in the recession that we had to have, um, which was the you know the last recession Australia experienced. Yeah. Um, what, what what was it like starting out then? I mean, you, you said you said you were obviously quite willing and and happy to go and you know work away from home and um, and, and get stuck in. Absolutely. So look, it was it was it was um, tougher uh, job wise. Certainly, there wasn't as much opportunity um, as there is now. The um, the rise of the mega projects hadn't started yet. So so now where we see mega projects uh, in in, met- in metropolitan cities all around Australia at the time, most of the spend um, was regional and and building um, highway infrastructure. Um, so, so there, there wasn't as much opportunity to to shop around with different different companies, and 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 by and large, um, you know, there weren't recruiters ringing you up, giving you uh, uncontested opportunities to uh, to go and work elsewhere. You were you were you were very happy to have a job, and and as long as you were um, you were loyal to that to that business, especially with Abbey Group, um, they were prepared to back you and employ you um, for a career, not necessarily just on a project. Mm-hmm. Um, which which was very comforting at the time because you knew you uh, you had a, a plan in place to uh, to progress your career if that's what you wanted to do. That's um, but yes, it was very different back in those days. It was uh, there certainly wasn't any job shopping around. Yeah, it's it's very different now, and you're a, um, a rare beast even in this environment, in, in that you've only ever worked really for for two companies, isn't it? That's, two, that's two. right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I started a, uh, my career as I as a graduate, um, and through through a bit of hard work and some success and and some opportunity, I, I did the career progression over the site engineer, then the project engineer, then um, in two thousand, oh, sorry, not two thousand in nineteen ninety eight, I got my first opportunity to to run a project as project manager. Um, we called them project managers back in those days. Now they call them project directors. Um, but you know that was a uh, a $65 million 
design and construct project at Sydney Airport. So probably three hundred and fifty million or four hundred million today's money at the age of twenty-seven. Um, good. That would never happen these days. It's uh, it's it's something that that um, you know the industry has moved a long time from that. But you know. When you're 27 and running a, a DMC job for the first time, it either you know um, makes it good if you got what it takes to be good, or you give up pretty quick. And um, and that was a really good uh, baptism of fire. And um, and you know I, I look back now and reflect on those times, and uh, and uh, I I, uh, I cherish them. What's um, what's the favourite uh, project that you've worked on? Oh look, I, I think um, for lots of different reasons, projects have, have been have been good and some not so good. I, you know, I, I talked about the that um, Sydney Airport job. It was called uh, Sydney Airport Two Thousand, which was basically getting the the airport ready for the uh, for the Olympics in mm. Two Thousand. So so Abbey Group had a, a large contract there to upgrade all the um, all the taxiways and runways um, to get it prepared for the uh, for the increased. Uh, Traffic that was that was going to come in because of the Olympics. Um, I really enjoyed that one because I worked on the bid as well too. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't just the delivery end. I, I I was the bid director, so I knew the job backwards before we even started. And um, and financially turned out to be a, a, a pretty good job and um, and have some really good memories. But you know some other projects that that um, that I've worked on over the years. Um, on railways, uh, the East Hills Railway line um, uh, back in 2001 and, and even my last job, uh, which was the Kubernetes Bypass um, on the uh, on the Pacific Highway back in 2003. Um, again, I look back with fond memories and good people and it, it was a it was a good time to be uh, to be in the industry. It was a tough time, but it was a good time. Yeah. Fantastic. And um, uh, um, what what are the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry over over your career so far? Oh, look, there, I think there's been lots of changes. As I've mentioned earlier, the the, the rise of the mega projects mm. um, has really changed the the complexities of, of construction. So mm. so the 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 engineering aspects have become uh, far more complex. Um, the, the the people issues are, are, are broader because you know we're we're on a, on a job. You know, I, you know, I think back to um, my last um, project as a project manager, um, which was a $140 million Kubernetes bypass. You know, we probably had maybe 25 staff. Um, on a similar-sized job now, in today's dollars, you'd probably have 125 staff. Mm. Um, so the, so the, the complexities of these big projects has, has taken um, the focus away just from the engineering aspects and now you have to, you know, focus very much on safety, on on the environment, sustainability, the community and stakeholder issues, um, and the uh, and, and the and the legacy issues that you're going to leave behind after you leave. So, so that that's a that's a big change. The other thing that 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 has changed, and perhaps perhaps not so much in a good way, is that that um, it's less about the construction engineering these days, and more about the contractual and legal. And commercial side of delivering a project, yeah, um, contracts have become far more onerous. Um, certainly from from the days when I was out there, um, you, you know, you 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 were now you're you're more um, they're almost written in such a way that it's sort of the, the cards are stacked against you before you even start. Mm-hmm. The specifications are, are no more uh, are less technical these days and far more contractual. So you so where the contract doesn't doesn't get you, the specification will. Um, they're written by lawyers for lawyers, intended for clients to to transfer all the risk 
to uh, to the contractor, um, and unfortunately, that that has made the delivery projects, especially these days, far more uh, far, far more complex than what they were maybe you know twenty years ago, even a decade ago. Mm, absolutely, and the, um, it's something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast around risk allocation and mm. what needs to be done going forward. And um, you know, there's a need for a more, a more equitable alliancing, whatever you want to call it, type type model, um, oh. be, because we're in the profitless boom, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, the the, um, the 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 pendulum had swung too far. So so while I understand clients' um, desire to to contract out their risk, and and they will say, well, the contract is in the best position to to manage and mitigate that risk, and that's probably true. But but at the time of tender, you're not really in the best position to to understand and quantify it, mm. um, and you can't in you know in six or eight weeks fully be across a project that's taken two or three years to develop from the client's perspective, and mm. price all that risk and understand it. And unfortunately, because these days, or for a, for a large portion of contracts, they're, they're, they're price driven. So you know, cheapest price wins. Um, you 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 have this um, fine line between um, pricing all the risk and unknowns, but at the risk of making yourself uncompetitive. And and um, unfortunately, one of the one of the, um, the, uh, the 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 shortcomings of the industry is this eternal optimistic optimism that, that things will work out at the end. Um, and I know it because I sit through bid reviews all the time and I sit through project reviews all the time. There's always this optimism that, that it'll just work out at the end and, and we'll take the risk and we'll be right. But unfortunately, it's not always the case. As, as, a, as a matter of fact, many times it's not always the case. Yeah, or, or, or you get the the rise of the uh, the commercial managers, as you said, and people have a claim strategy in, at, at tender stage. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> no. When I uh, when, when I first started, I think at, at Abbey Group we might we might have had one lawyer in the business. By the time um, I uh, left, it was with Len Lease. I think we had fourteen, um, and now it's uh, it's not unusual. It's, it's just quite typical to have a, uh, to have a commercial team and, and some lawyers on a project, mm. um, simply to deal with the contractual aspects that, that you've signed up to. Sometimes unwittingly. And sometimes, without knowing the uh, the outcome, but but nevertheless, you you are held accountable to them. And 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 this is what I was saying earlier about the engineering aspects of, of construction um, now taking not so much a back seat, but a but an equal seat a, alongside the, the the legal and contractual and and um, and uh, you know uh, non non engineering aspects of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, while we're touching on Abbey Group and Lendlease, we should probably congratulate Asiona for the, completing the sale yesterday, um, or the purchase yesterday. Absolutely. And that's um, good, good, good news for a lot of people um, that are still in that business. That both yeah, you well, and I know. I think it's I think it's good news for the for the remaining um, employees with uh, with Lendlease who, who mm. were probably in a bit of limbo for, for for time. But I think it's great news for industry as well too, because um, having having a strong um, Having players out there, and strong players who who actually uh, want to want to be in the industry and want to back it, is actually good for us all. Um, and you know, well done to Asiona and, and congratulations to Lynn Lease for uh, for completing the sale. Yeah, absolutely. And what what's um, we talked about? What's changed in the industry? What what stayed the same? What what's well, I think it's always. Um, a people-driven industry. Um, you know, we're, there, there, there's certainly been a lot more technology that's come in these days through the use of BIM or digital engineering and 
and machine control, but but but, but ultimately it's founded with people, um, and it's always been that way since you know since the Romans, I suppose, when construction first started, or even the Egyptians, I should say. So 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 without people, we don't have an industry, mm. um, and it's and it's still the rewarding industry in the sense that. There is a tangible outcome to what you do, and and the legacy of, of of what we build or what we design remains for generations, um, long after the team has gone, or long after even the business has gone. The, the legacy of what's been done is actually is actually um, is actually there for people to see. So so I think from that perspective, it's 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 rewarding personally to to see that. Mm. Um, it's still a can-do um, industry. But there, I, I spoke earlier about the. Eternal optimism of the of the of the projects and the people in it, but but I think it's optimism based on can do, mm. and and it doesn't matter you know whether you're walking onto a project now or a project twenty years ago, everyone is working hard um, to deliver that job, and and I think that can do attitude in the business in the industry, you know if we had that in other industries or or more in society, I think we'd be better off. Yeah. Fantastic. I tend to agree. Um, and, and what do you think the future looks like for the industry? Um, what's on the horizon? Oh, look, I think that's probably uh, something in two parts. I think there's the short-term crisis that's happening right now through COVID and, and, mm. and you know, um, and we know that one of the ways that the, the governments have tried to deal with COVID is, or, or certainly from the economic perspective, is to get money out there and construction is a, is a very efficient way of getting money out to to uh, the economy because that's done you know done through various levels you know it, it's yes it, it uh, through the contractors and designers and consultants but also through the suppliers subcontractors the, uh, mm-hmm. the workers it's a really good way of getting money from from the government um, to 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 the people where, where, where it matters um, but COVID aside I think Construction Australia, uh, certainly in the next, in the last decade and, and the decades to come, I think has a very bright future. Um, you know, it's, it's always, infrastructure has always been the, the primer for the economy. You know, if, if, if things are going well, there's lots of money out there and, and things are being built. But, but if things aren't going well, governments use it as a way of, of priming the economy. So, so it means that infrastructure doesn't go through this boom and bust cycle um, like building, the building side of the, of the business may do or the residential side of the business may do, I mm. think it's far, far more steady. If if you look at um, the growth of the Australian population, and again, COVID aside, um, you know, if you look at the, the growth over the last few decades and the trends, the growing population, the increased demand for, for transport and better transport um, and also government's um, spending money to to take care of the infrastructure backlog that's happened um, over the years means that that, that um, there's lots of opportunity for for growth, um, but but finally, uh, probably Australia more than any other country um, has probably the most active PPP market in the world, and by that by that I mean where where private money and government money is used together to deliver mm. infrastructure. So. So, um, and that's why you've got so many foreign entrants here at the moment um, trying to, 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 uh, to establish Australia or have established because of the, the attractive, from a work perspective anyway, PPP market where, where you've got um, uh, private funds um, uh, flowing into infrastructure. So when you add all those things up, you know, the, the population growth, um, either 
organic or through immigration, the, the pent-up demand for transport, the PPP money or private pri- private money coming in, mm. that that leads to a very buoyant and active market um, in infrastructure. So, so for me, uh, the future is looking bright. Uh, this pause aside with COVID, um, you know, in a, in a hopefully in a in a year's time or in a couple of years' time, we'll, we'll, we'll be back to where we we would have been under the the original projections. And there's lots of uh, lots of opportunity for uh, for people and companies out there in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is money around. This is what's different to the 2008 recession, yes. all the you know the, all the GFC. Um, That's right. There is there is far more liquidity, and, and there are and there are um, investment funds and pensions and yes. specific you know people like IFM coming out and saying yes, we have money, we have money. Yes, so, that, that, so that market is looking that money's looking for somewhere to go. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the PPP market being very buoyant and very attractive, but um, I think it's got to be a bit more equitable. I think it's very point for the investors, um, maybe not so much for the DNC contractor. Um, but but again, you know, with with more equitable um, uh, models to, to PPP, and some are coming out now where where where, where the, uh, the the risks are being shared a bit more equitable, then that does give opportunity for the uh, for the DNC uh, contractor or the or the constructor to to actually share in some of the uh, some of the boom. Yeah, absolutely, and there and there are there are various sort of um, um, voices in the industry, whether that's from the contractor side or from the investor side, talking about um, the um, uh, mid-tier contractors having a greater share of that PPP work as well. Absolutely, and and governments have actually focused on that. So one of the things that government has done recently is actually respond to industry's feedback on on uh, on how to improve industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost of bidding and the cost of uh, of mobilising big projects had, had just become too great, um, which meant that some of the smaller contractors, um, the tier twos and tier threes, just were locked out of that market. Mm. The problem with with big projects is they take such a long time to start, um, and you might announce a job, but it might be two or three years before we actually have boots on the ground. Whereas the smaller construct only projects, which are relatively cheap to bid. And can be converted quite quickly. You know, six months after uh, after the bid's gone in, or the or the project's been uh, been released for tender, you're actually starting work, and it's a great way of, uh, of of priming the economy, but also getting people out there and working and 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 delivering, not just sitting in the office um, um, working on deals. So governments have been really good in in responding to uh, um, to that to that challenge. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm conscious of, um, of of the fact that we could probably talk for hours here and um, keep keeping it within a, a reasonable uh, sort of uh, sure. contained manner. But um, um, before I ask you my last question, um, the, the, there are engineers and young engineers from top tier and second tier contractors at the moment who might be finding themselves in this lull of work without mm. a home and you know looking for work. I think I think there are at the moment. Um, there definitely are. Um, what, what advice would you give them? Um, harking back to your sort of, you know, start in the industry in, in a recession? Look, I, I think um, one of the advice is uh, you don't always have to start at the top. So, uh, so you know, um, an opportunity, you know, a, a step on the ladder is always is always uh, better than not being on the ladder at all. You know, I, I think through through my um, a lot of the skills and and uh, and understandings I have of the, of the industry now was actually built on on working for on smaller projects. 
where where you got um, exposure to everything from the the construction side, but through to the uh, to the contractual, the financial, the the uh, the client relations side. Um, so don't always look for the big project. The the the, the big sexy projects um, are great, um, but you tend to also get pigeonholed. In, in certain areas and, um, you know, I don't want to be flippant, but if you're if you're looking after the, the line marking on a mega project and that's all you're doing and it might be worth $50 million, but that's all you're doing, it's not yeah. the same as being on a $50 million job where you're looking after a whole lot. <laughs> um, be prepared to, to, to take the risk and, and travel to, to regional areas because um, working outside of the, of the cities, apart from it being a great experience, is a really great life experience too. I mean, you're out of your comfort zone. You're, you're seeing something new. You're, you're probably um, not as uh, not as supported as well um, uh, in terms of um, in terms of having head office uh, support because you don't have the well head, head office oversight because you don't have the bosses and and people dropping all the time. And it gives you a lot of autonomy to actually uh, to actually grow and make decisions. Um, you know, there's great opportunities out there if if you look. Fantastic. Great advice. Um, and Rob, to finish us off, um, tell us what are you excited about at the moment? Oh, look, I, again, COVID aside, because everything you've got to do is, is, has got to come back to where we are right now. But, but, if, but if you look forward, I, I'm really excited about the fact that, that for the first time, for a long time, governments and industry are coming together to try to mould a better looking industry, mm. a more sustainable industry. So, mm. so I mentioned earlier about some of the challenges we're having and, and those challenges while, while over the last 10 to 20 years there's been lots of work and lots of revenue, it hasn't been matched by, by growth and profits. As a matter of fact, you mentioned earlier the profitless boom. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of work just for, just for practice. Um, I think governments have realised to make the an industry, um, to make this, this industry sustainable, we need to change the way we deliver. And, and, and when I talk about sustainability, I don't just talk about the sustainability of, of, the, of the businesses and the companies and, and making profit. You know, the, the days of six or seven day working weeks and, and coming to work at the crack of dawn and leaving it late at night and, and, and having half as many staff on the project as you really need and, and almost wearing as a badge of honour that, that you, you, you've worked, you know, many weeks straight that's got to stop I mean you know work-life balance is is um and 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 making sure that people stay in the industry for long term has to be our focus and mm-hmm. and I'm really um glad that a lot of businesses are looking at the five-day working week now on their construction sites or at least having rosters on their projects um to to allow a five-day working week for its staff mm-hmm. something that you know was unheard of when I first started but likewise, clients are also doing the same because a lot of the work practices um, on our construction sites in regards to long hours and, and tight timeframes and, and pressure were driven by clients who, who, who had set unrealistic end dates and then exorbitant penalties for not getting there um, through, their, through their contractual arrangements, which forced you to do it. So clients now are being a bit more flexible about um, about the, the the deadlines they're setting. So so I think it's becoming a much more um, people focused and people friendly industry. Um, and 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 if you look at if you walk onto a construction site these days, I, I think back in 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 the early days, it was really the domain of the thirty year old male engineer. 
Um, you work, walk onto it now and it's the diversity is is incredible. And it's, and it's not just diversity in gender, it's diversity in background, in culture, in experience, in age. Um, it's a far more uh, reflective work workplace, reflective of in, of, um, of society, not just a male-dominated um, mm. environment. Re- reflective of the whole world in Australia, isn't it? I mean, Absolutely. you can have somebody from from uh, Iran, Pakistan, Spain, Italy, oh, France, Look, you know, I, ev- everywhere. I, I, I used to jokingly say um, uh, a, a few years ago that, that if we only, if we keep only hiring 30-year-old male engineers, eventually we'll run out of people we can hire. Um, and and I think industry has seen that, and and the and and right now the the the, the different um, views and the different approach to to delivering um, a project you get from 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 you know different overseas experience and, and different cultural experience has made for a much better and much more pleasant uh, work experience than what than, uh, than what was maybe you know twenty years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think once the borders do open. Um, we are going to see that population growth come back and we're going to see a lot of um, en- international engineers um, oh. wanting to come and work in Australia, I think. Absolutely. I think it's still a very exciting place to work and and, and the projects that we, that we take on here and deliver are, are, are world-leading and, and, and we do use world-leading um, techniques and... Uh, and I can see why it's an attractive um, place to work in, and, and you know, you know, I know that doesn't come down to the dollars and cents, but it, but it's a, it's an attractive um, uh, and lucrative place for to, to have a career. Mm. Um, after all, you, you still have to pay your mortgage, so I can understand why why people are attracted um, uh, to to come into Australia to work, and why there's more and more people. Um, doing engineering uh, as a as a subject uh, at university um, uh, because the demand is is there and, and will continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Rob, thank thank you so much. I know that you're um, you're busy today, so I'm going to let you get on. Um, you've shared some um, some fantastic experience with us and um, and thoughts around the industry, um, 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 you know, now and in the future. So thanks ever thank so much for joining us. Great. Well, thank you very much, Patty. This has certainly been a pleasure, and uh, and I hope uh, people do uh, do get something out of this and um, and uh, and enjoy watching the podcast. I'm sure they will. Have a fantastic Great. day. Likewise. Thanks, Rob. Bye bye. Integrated Infrastructure is powered by NorthSearch, specialists in executive and technical search across engineering, design, construction, property and energy markets in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about NorthSearch or get involved with this podcast, you can click on the links in the show notes or email me directly at the address on the screen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Integrated Infrastructure. Please tell your friends and colleagues if you did, and we hope to see you again soon.